Welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Epic Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And uh, the show, we're talking about delayed settlements and early access. Now, this is for you, first home buyers, or people who are still in a renovations mode of property investment. Now, the reason I say earlier on in your journey is because we have been writing our book over the holiday break, and there is this great section at the start of the book about what we call starting blocks investors who tend to be the ones who start renovating. Of course, you can renovate a property at any age, but this is what we've talked about in the book. Now, this is actually how Andrew got started using things like delayed settlements and early access, which can be really useful when you are just starting out, money's a bit tighter. So we thought we'd talk about how to use these two different parts of the negotiation, things you can ask for from a vendor and what they actually mean. Now, Andrew, if people are listening to the show, never heard of a delayed settlement or early access, why don't you just Tell us the story of how you bought your first house and how you use these two different concepts together. Sure, sure. So delayed settlement, what we did in this stage is the process when you buy a house, you go and sign up for it, then you normally go through a due diligence or a finance period or something like that, then you go unconditional and pay your deposit. Once you do that, there's also a set date that you're likely to take it over. Now, in the instance of the property that I bought, we signed up the contract as per what the vendors wanted, the owners at the time, and then... The day we went unconditional, we asked for a few more things. And the main thing was we wanted settlement in three months' time. They were still living in the house. This was a, div- a couple that were divorcing. They were still living together. And then when they were moving, they were going their separate ways. I think they were moving to Auckland or something like that. So what we said is, hey, look, we're happy to confirm, but we're going to take settlement in three months' time. And over that three months, we want access. Now, there's two different things. You can have access and possession. So this is, you've got to be clear to define which one you want. Now, access meant that we could go in and work on the property. So every night after my job at the bank finished, I'd go around there about seven o'clock and my girlfriend and I at the time would do things like remove wallpaper. And so that falls under access, not position where you can actually live in the property. Now, that's granted far less often, but I'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Now, the great thing about delayed settlement is you don't have to draw down your money from the bank to buy the property. So I've got an interest-free access to a property. By the time we actually took possession of the property, when we settled the property, the work had been done, ready to rent. So how long did it take for you to have your tenants move in? after settlement. I think there was a day that it was empty. I think we stayed there the night, that first night. I think we slept on the floor from memory or was, uh, so I can't remember. can't remember exactly. I'm pretty sure we slept on the floor that night and then the next day tenants moved in. How good. So the key thing I want to point out there is Andrew got two things. One, he said, instead of a four week settlement period, I want three months to pay you the money and I want to renovate over that period. Now, what that meant is by the time He actually paid the money for the property. It was ready to rent. That money would come in straight away. So he was able to renovate for, say, two months, three months, have tenants through, then ultimately get the tenants moved in. Now, I thought the divorced couple, just because I've heard this story so many times, I thought they were still living in their main bedroom. Yeah, they did. They but, still lived in their bedroom. But you weren't allowed to access that. So when did you renovate oh, it? No, I had access to the whole thing. I think from memory, they just moved rooms. Oh, how good. When we went to paint it. I mean, it was a five-bedroom house. (laughs) How good. Now, just to make really clear the difference between the two, early access is getting into the property before you've settled the property. That's the important one in this situation. A delayed settlement is extending the value of the early access, essentially, if you get it, saying, hey, it might be two months, six weeks, 
three months, whatever it happens to be. But if you're wanting to renovate the property before you've paid the money, it's early access that you're really after. Let's talk about the value of this delayed settlement early access. You know, how much could this save people and what are they actually saving as a first-time investor or first-time buyer? Well, I think the best part is that if you're buying and you're renovating a property and so therefore you need the early access, it's just a great way of getting everything done so you don't have this delay period of paying a mortgage while you're doing those renovations. And so to put some numbers around that, if it's a 700k mortgage at 3.65% interest rate, every month is 3,200 if it's principal and interest or 2,100 if it's interest only. So you're saving yourself a couple of grand a month. In that case, you know, if these were the numbers that it were back in those days, then it would have been $6,000 worth of interest that I wouldn't have paid. So it means that I don't have to outlay paying that interest as well as doing my renovations. Now, one thing to remember, if you are doing a a scenario like this, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, you've got to actually have the cash to do the renovations yourself. Now, the bank might, if you've got heaps of usable equity in your own house and you're doing your first property, you're buying and you're going to renovate it, then you might be able to access those funds earlier. But if this is your first home, you need to put down your deposit and then you need to have your funds for your renovations. But, you know, again, if we're talking about a $700,000 mortgage on principal and interest because it's my own house, you know, that could be, if it's a three-month delayed settlement, that's almost $10,000 that you've got to put towards renovations rather than repayments. It goes a long way. 100%. Now, what's important to note is that there are different types of early access depending on what you're going to do. So you can get early access for renovations. You might get more limited early access to start showing tenants through the property before you've actually settled it. And this might work differently depending on what the property is. So actually, even some new build investors will be asking for early access to the property. They might not necessarily put it in the contract, but they might ask the developer for early access so they can get tenants through before they've paid the money. Again, what we're trying to do is make the tenant or allow the tenant to move in the day after it settles or the day the property settles. For existing, you would negotiate for it, especially if it's for those renovations. Now, what's important to note though, is that if you're dealing in existing properties, some types of properties are going to be easier to get early access approved specifically for the renovation side if you want to do what Andrew was just talking about. So for instance, if the house is already empty, it's obviously going to be easier to negotiate for early access compared to if there's a family of six living in there. (laughs) Similarly, if there's nobody living in the property, for instance, if it was a holiday home, a deceased estate, or the owners have already moved out, but there could still be furniture in there, again, it's going to be easier to negotiate for that early access. After that, what I'd say is probably owner-occupiers is going to be easier than if the property is tenanted. Hey, look, if that property is already tenanted, next to no shot that you're going to get early access to that because then you're going to have to negotiate with the tenants who – They have got no benefit. And they're about to be kicked out of their house. Yeah, there's no benefit to them letting you come in. I mean, the people who are selling it to you, if they're owner-occupiers, at least they get the benefit of maybe a higher house price, for instance. Would you generally agree with that Absolutely, absolutely. And look, there are a few technical things that you need to know or have your lawyer know when you're negotiating these kind of things or if you're accepting it as a vendor. So if you're an owner of a property and you're selling and someone asks for early access, the advice from one of the lawyers that we use on a regular basis here who I spoke to before the show recording, she said, look, if you're getting possession early or access early, generally speaking, she would do possession 
as a licensee. Now, I said, what the hell does that mean? She said, basically, that then makes it you're not going to fall under the Residential Tenancies Act. Because let's say I sell my property to Ed, and Ed says, oh, look, I don't like Andrew's carpet and wallpaper choices that he's used, so I want to get in there and renovate it, so I want to be able to live in there and do that work before I move in there. Well, if I let him move in and accept rent from him, like a lot of people would, well, then now if he doesn't settle, then I've got a tenancy issue which is a real problem. So give him position as licensee, and rather than charge him rent, I'll charge him a license fee. So he needs to pay $3,000 for the right to occupy in that time. For example, if he's going to live there, if it was access, generally speaking, you'd do that for free. Now, if people are going to go in and renovate a property, you need to be really careful. Because if Ed comes in, rips out a few walls, and upsets my insurance or the value of my property, that then falls on me if he hasn't settled. So generally speaking, again, you'd have a clause in there saying you can't damage the property and if there is damage, then that falls on its responsibility being the buyer with early access and must not do anything to affect my insurance or void my assurance while he's in there. Well, let me ask you this, Andrew. There'll be a whole heap of cunning investors out there saying, why don't I just rent to tenants as licensees? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not going to stand a chance on that. The RTA, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the tenancy tribunal won't be happy with that. They'll just you to be a tenant. The other thing that Sue mentioned when I was talking to her is having an undertaking from the purchaser's lawyer, so in this case Ed's buying a property from me, an undertaking from Ed's lawyers that they'll settle without deduction. Now, sometimes what will happen is you'll get to settlement and Ed will do his final walkthrough and go, oh, look, that's not there that we thought was there and there's actually a faulty draw here, we want to deduct $1,000 from the sale price. Now, if Ed's already living there, it's a pain in the butt. I have to probably accept that. So if I have an undertaking from his lawyer at that stage, he's legally bound to settle that property in full. Okay, that's interesting. Now, some of you who have been listening to the show for a while are going to be thinking, but you guys keep telling me clean offer, lower price. So if you're trying to get a lower price accepted by somebody selling a property, Put in a clean offer. Look, that is true. We talk about that all the time. That approach is going to suit you if you're in a really competitive sales process. So if you're at a deadline sale or a tender, then putting in a clean offer in order to get the property under contract can be a really good thing to do. What Andrew is talking about in this situation is saying, well, once you've got the property under contract, (laughs) on the final day before you meant to go unconditional, hitting them back with some of these conditions, saying, hey, I will go unconditional, but on these conditions. Now, of course, in that instance, if the vendor says no, I've got to go back to some of those other purchases and, again, go through a due diligence period or a finance period or as well. You, or you could potentially confirm. So if, if you are in that situation where you ask for early access and the vendor says no, you can still confirm on your original contract so long as you haven't extended your time frame and, and now rendered the contract void. But so your worst case scenario is they say no, the best case scenario is they say yes, all right, whatever, because they don't want to actually have to go back to the market. Though what would be fair is if you're trying to put in these sort of conditions on a first offer, you're probably going to have more success in a less competitive sales process like a price by negotiation or an advertised price. Now, in practice, Andrew, how long can people get early access for? How long delayed settlements will 
vendors actually accept? Now, I didn't actually ask Sue this. I meant to actually ask how long legally you can do it, but it's probably indefinite. I don't see any reason why there would be a time frame. You know, arguably, I could say, well, I'm going to pay a million dollars for your house that's worth 800000 but I settle it in 10 years' time and I'll pay you your deposit now. And if you needed the money, you might accept that offer. I don't think, and if anyone knows, if any lawyers are listening and, and I'm wrong about this, t- text Ed and tell him, but I believe you can have any date at all, so long as everyone agrees to. Well, even if you think about something like a developer, they will use deferred settlement clauses all the time yes. in order to get the land together for their development and they obviously want you to keep paying the mortgage costs in the meantime. Yeah, so what often developers will do is say, hey, look, I, I agree to pay your price but I don't want to settle it for a year. I actually had someone offer to do that on a property of mine. We'll settle it in a year's time. We'll pay you a 20% deposit they offered to pay and the balance in 12 months' time and they were offering a slightly higher price than someone else. So it was take the money now at a lower price or a higher price in a year time. And the idea was that they would go to the council, get resource consent, building consent. Potentially they might ask to demo the property. I would have said no to that anyway. But, you know, they could have gone through those processes so that day one of settlement, they can start building the properties. What did you decide to do? I actually got the person who wanted to settle now up in price to the other uh, the guy. I played two developers off against each other. Now, just quickly, what's interesting in that scenario is that they're willing to pay you the deposit does that deposit have to be held in a solicitor's trust account or do you get access to it? Uh, no, it could be released to me in that instance because we both agreed to that. It wasn't like with a, a build contract where there might not be a finished product. The b- finished product is already there, so there's no problem with it getting re- released to me on the basis that that's all agreed on. Okay, cool. So these are some of the things you can do if you are renovating properties. And again, particularly useful for those people who are at the starting blocks earlier in their journey and are looking for ways to save money on that first reno because, hey, you might not have, or generally you probably don't have, as much equity to be able to go and use to do some of these things. So deferred settlements and early access in combination with each other can be incredibly powerful. Hey, look, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Property Academy podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you are considering, well, what is my next step in property for 2022? We do have the Next Steps property course where you can help figure that out and whether we could be a part of it. Now, you can find this at opuspartners.co.nz. It's there on the homepage. I know we initially talked about it over the summer break and oh, the link didn't quite work. So You've we're remedying- public flogging as a result of that, haven't you? We are remedying it now. So you'll be able to find that, opuspartners.co.nz, tap or swipe over the cover art, there'll be a link in there. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, texts and insights to help you get the most of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.